It is wonderful to be here on this last Sunday before Christmas and our second last Sunday in the year 2015. Where does the time go? Another year is uh, quickly going into the rearview mirror, but it's been a good year. Another year where we have seen God's faithfulness. Before I go any further, uh, Matt and Heidi would like to share something with the church family. Please, Matt. I think I can say on behalf of everyone, congratulations. That is wonderful news. And what a fitting time to share that news. As we we think of Jesus being born into the world, we are so thankful that God is blessing you with a child. And uh, we're going to lift you up in prayer with that. One of the things that was shared earlier in the the announcements is that uh, Leanne and I will be traveling to visit her parents and family over the Christmas holidays, so unfortunately we won't be able to be here on Christmas Eve. It's just one of those things with distance that that this has to happen every year, so in some small way we're not traveling by donkey, but we do identify with Mary and Joseph (laughs) having to travel every every Christmas, and so uh, we're we're thankful that we can do that, but I just want to take this opportunity that we won't be here then and we won't be able to necessarily connect with all of you, so on behalf of Leanne and I, We just want to wish each one of you a very merry and blessed Christmas. Uh, May God bless you richly as you celebrate together with family. And we just feel so blessed to have you as our family. And uh, we just want to wish you a very, very happy and blessed Christmas this year. Would you now bow with me and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you are such a good God. You are an amazing giver of gifts. You delight in showing us how, how, much, how much you want to bless us. You bless us more than we deserve. You bless us more than we are even capable sometimes of receiving. And yet you still shower good things upon us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for every gift you've given us. The ones that we are aware of and the ones that we aren't aware of, we thank you. Today, Lord, on behalf of Matt and Heidi, we thank you for the gift of new life. Thank you for blessing them, Lord, with a child. And we pray, Lord, that you will just have your hand upon them, have your hand upon the new life, Lord, and we pray that you would bring it safely into this world, healthy and strong, according to your will. We pray this, Lord. Lord, there are many things at this time of year that we are reminded to pray for. Lord, we are coming to the time of year where we think back again on what it meant for you to enter this world as a little baby. You entered a world, Lord, just like the one we're in right now. All of the circumstances and the, uh, the similarities are, are striking, Lord. There are still wars. There is still conflict. There is still suffering. There is still hunger. There is still spiritual famine. Lord, there is still so much in this world that needs to be set right. And so, Lord, as we consider again what it meant for you to enter that broken world all those years ago, we still, Lord, long for the day when you will finally set every last thing right. And so, Lord, as we think back on your first coming to this world, we also look forward to your second coming. And we pray, Lord, for that day to come. Help us to be found faithful. 
help us to be found as those who are about your business, ready and prepared to receive you and to welcome you, and that we would be found in you on that day. And so we pray, Lord, that for all those in our families, in this community, in this world who are not yet prepared for that day, we pray, Lord, that you would set our hearts to that task, the one you have given us, to make disciples, to prepare others for that day, that day when we will meet you. And so, Father, I pray that you would again fill us with your spirit, fill us with the power of your word to go out and shine your light so that others may be ready to meet with you. Lord, we pray for the brokenness in this world. We think of the war-torn nations. We think of Iraq. We think of Syria. We think of Yemen. We think of the Sudan. We think of Ukraine. Lord, there are so many other nations, North Korea. Father, wherever there is suffering, wherever those who are using power, using violence to oppose and oppress and to kill, we pray, Lord, that there you would intervene, that you in your perfect way would intercede, Lord. We pray for the nation of Syria. We pray that you would put an end to the conflict, Lord. And we pray that you would bind up the brokenhearted there. We pray, Lord, that you would bring these wars to an end and help us to be messengers of that peace, Lord. Lord, we also pray for peace in our own land. We pray for it, Lord, in our own hearts. We pray for it in our families. We pray for it, Lord, in our churches and in our communities. Would your peace prevail? Lord, we pray for our leaders, the ones you have placed in authority over us. We think of our mayor, our premier, our prime minister. Would you have your hand upon them, Lord? Would you guide them? And that, Father, ultimately we pray that wherever their relationship is with you, that you would draw them, Lord, into a closer relationship with you, that they could hear from you and draw from your strength and wisdom as they govern this land. And so, Father, today we, again, open our hearts up to you, Lord, as we think ahead even to later preparing and sharing in your supper, would you prepare our hearts for that? Again, Lord, would we receive the wonderful fellowship of communion with you, remembering what you have done for us, and may we share in this fellowship with glad hearts as we partake together and share in unity with each other. And so prepare us for that again, I pray. And now, Lord, as we prepare to enter your word, Father, we thank you for the the buffet that's before us. We thank you that by your word we have everything we need. And so open it to us again, I pray. Give me courage, boldness, and fill me with your spirit, Lord, to speak it well today, that you would speak through it to each heart. In Jesus' name, amen. A true story appeared in the news a few years ago of a woman in New Mexico who was in her kitchen frying tortillas. And she just so happened to burn one of the tortillas, and the the burnt area on the tortilla appeared to her to look like the image of a face. And as she looked at it more closely, she began to be quite convinced that this image was none other than the likeness of Jesus Christ. And so she took her burnt tortilla to her local priest. She showed it to him. She showed him the likeness, and he too agreed that this image burnt into the tortilla looked like the Lord and Savior. And so he prayed a blessing upon the tortilla. Well, the woman and her husband then took that blessed burnt tortilla back home and they built a special box for it. They surrounded it by cotton to make it appear as if it was floating on air. Then they built a little altar around it and started praying there in that location. Well, word began to spread throughout the region about this holy tortilla, and soon thousands of people 
visited their home to pray before the holy tortilla. Now we, we laugh, and yet at the same time we feel a little bit sad at hearing a story like that, a true story, where we, where we hear and see that some people, some people are so desperate to catch a glimpse of Jesus that they will look for him anywhere and everywhere, even at a burnt tortilla. Now, their desire to see Jesus, remember this, their desire to see him is not wrong. The only problem is that they are looking for him in the wrong place. And the truth is, there is only one completely reliable place that we can look to see Jesus. And that place is, of course, in the pages of the Bible. In John chapter 12 and verse 21, we read of one occasion where some Greek men tracked down Philip, one of the twelve disciples, with this request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. What a request. Sir, we would like to see Jesus. We've heard so much about him. We've been told about all the miracles, and now we want to see him for ourselves. We would like to see Jesus. Is that your desire today? Is that your desire that you would like to see Jesus? I I pray that it is. If, If that is your desire today, then you came to the right place. Because today I want to do my very best with whatever ability I've been given to in some small way show you a glimpse of Jesus. In this season of Advent, through the lens of God's word, We have already seen three glimpses of Christ as he's been revealed to the world throughout the ages. In the first advent, we saw that he was chosen as the savior of the world before the beginning of time, before creation. Second, he was revealed as the seed of the woman in the garden, that when the fall happened, even there, the plan was already in motion, declared that the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head, that he would be victorious. Last week, we saw how he was revealed as the perfect Lamb of God. And through the sacrificial shedding of blood in the Old Testament, again and again, the foreshadowing of his sacrifice was revealed. The perfect Lamb of God shed his blood for the sins of the world. And now this morning, on this, our last Advent, before Christmas, I want to focus our attention on the fourth revelation of Jesus Christ. Not as he was... Not as he was revealed in the past, but I want to try to show you a small glimpse of him today as he is. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 1 tells us this. Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. Now that verse is speaking to you, by the way. Holy brothers, holy sisters, You share in the heavenly calling. That's us. This is lofty stuff here. This is speaking to us, and here's the instruction. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. Fix your thoughts on him. This term is an active tense imperative. That means we must actively and continuously fix, focus our thoughts on Jesus. That means we don't just fix our thoughts on him once a week in church. You know, here we're in church, okay, now I'm fixing my thoughts on him. No, this, is, this isn't something we do once in a while. The verse here is saying it's a continuous process. 
Continuously, throughout each day, we focus, we fix our thoughts on him. And for the Christian, this is not a suggestion. It's a command. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. So how exactly do we do that? How do we do this? Now, I don't know about you, but one challenge that I encounter when I try to think about Jesus or focus my thoughts on him, one of the challenges I encounter is how do I properly picture him in my mind's eye? How do I, how do I visualize him? You know, I believe it's in our nature to visualize him, or at least try to. I, I think it's just, there's something inside of us that wants to have something that we can attach this thought to, of what he looked like. And so we try to imagine what he looked like. Most people have some vague notion of him from a storybook or a painting that they've seen. I, I did a, just sort of an unofficial survey. I asked Leanne what her impressions were of him, and it was sort of what I thought and sort of fit a little bit with what my impressions were of him and see if this fits with kind of how you think of him. We typically think of him as having gentle eyes, flowing brown hair and a beard, and he's always wearing a white robe with either a blue or a red sash, depending on which storybooks you read as a child, Right? So this is typically how we sort of visualize him. Then we come to Christmas time. We come to this season of the year. And then we start to tend to visualize him as the infant child, the baby in the manger. But what I find extremely interesting is that for all of the thousands of things that the Bible teaches us about him, it tells us next to nothing about what he actually looked like. There are literally no physical descriptions given of the Lord Jesus when he was on earth. There is really nothing to go on in this realm. There is only a couple of small clues that were given about his appearance. That comes from the prophet Isaiah, who prophesied this. There was nothing in his physical appearance that should draw us to him. In other words, what he's saying is that he wasn't especially handsome. He was just ordinary. He was a regular guy. There was nothing in his appearance that would say, wow, there's a leader, there's a somebody. He was just a regular man. Nothing special in his appearance that should draw us to him. But though the Bible gives us scant details on Jesus' physical appearance during his earthly life, in striking contrast, in comparison, it gives us an abundance of physical descriptions of him following his resurrection from the grave. And the primary description of Jesus, not as he was, but as he is today, was given to the Apostle John in Revelation chapter 1, verses 10 to 16. And I'd invite you to turn there with me this morning. It was read for us earlier, but I want you to have it before you as a reference as we go through our study this morning. Revelation chapter 1. Now before we get into it, I want to remind you that John knew Jesus as well as anyone In his time on earth, no one would have been more capable of describing him to us today. Remember, John was described as the disciple whom Jesus loved. There was a special bond, a friendship, an intimacy that they had. So if someone was capable of describing him, it would be John. But even as the closest of friends, when John saw Jesus, not as he was, not as he knew him on earth, but when John sees Jesus as he is, He was floored. And I mean that literally. In verse 17, John shares his reaction to seeing the resurrected, glorified Christ. 
Verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. So do you still want to see Jesus? Are you sure? This isn't something for the faint of heart. Even John hit the floor when he saw Jesus. Even John, the best friend of Christ on earth, if he's blown away by his glory, how do you think you would handle it? I'm quite certain that if it were me, I would still be on the floor. This is the resurrected, glorified Christ we are dealing with. And so now, before we go any further, here's my disclaimer. I have to say this. Jesus' current glory, as he is right now, his glory is beyond our ability to even begin to imagine. But with that being said, we're going to try anyways. And so here we go. John gave us this description for a reason, so let's try to take it in this morning. First, His voice is like a trumpet and a waterfall. Verse 10, I heard behind me a voice like a trumpet. And then verse 16, his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. Now I want you to notice that John uses the word like a lot. No, he's not a teenage girl. Okay, that's not why he's using the word like a lot. He's using the word like a lot because he's describing things as close to an earthly comparison as he can come up with. He's saying it's like this, but not exactly right. This is as close as I can come up with. It's like a trumpet. It's like the sound of rushing waters. Jesus' voice wasn't a literal trumpet or waterfall, but for John, it was the closest earthly comparison that he could come up with. So let's start with the rushing water comparison. Don't think of a gentle stream. I want you to think of a huge waterfall. Who here has been to the Niagara Falls? Did any of you go on the Maid of the Mist or on the the, uh, walk underneath the waterfall? Yeah, some of you did? Okay, if you've been anywhere in the proximity of the Niagara Falls, especially underneath, the thing that will impress you most, this is what I remember from my time there, is that it is loud. It thunders. It is unceasing. You have to shout to be heard. It is simply overwhelming the power, the noise, the volume of the Niagara Falls. So Jesus' voice in this analogy, it thunders. It thunders like a waterfall. The other comparison to Jesus' voice is as a trumpet. A trumpet. And this is one that I want you to actually experience this morning. Now, you got to remember that... For the Jews, a trumpet was not a brass trumpet. It was actually a shofar. So hold on one second. Now this is the shofar that I picked up in Israel. Now the interesting thing about the shofar is it takes a certain type of skill set to be able to blow this properly. And I'm a little bit dry right now, so this could be a little bit tricky, but I've been practicing. It took me a little while to actually learn how to do this. For the first while, when I was given the shofar, I, the only reason I knew that it worked was because the guy uh, who was our tour guy that day actually picked this one up, blew it, I heard it, I knew it worked, then I got it, and all it made was wind. That was it. It was just, it wasn't working. So it took me a while to finally figure it out. But when John is hearing Jesus' voice, this is what got his attention. He says, I heard a sound like a trumpet behind me. And this is exactly what John would be hearing. It would be like something like this. Hold on. Hold on, I got this. (laughs) 
You won't believe how many times I practiced that. That sound, now is anyone sleeping? Is everyone awake? Okay, I'll get this later if I see anyone nodding off. That sound, the sound of the trumpet, that is the closest sound that John could come to mind when he heard the voice behind him, a trumpet sound. Now, should we be surprised at the power of Jesus' voice? Should we be surprised? You know, we often think of Jesus meek and mild, gentle, speaking words of compassion, and yet Jesus is also described in Scripture as the Logos, the divine word. In John chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. Then in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, we read, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. What did that command sound like? If we had heard God's command and the universe unfold before us, if we had heard it, might we have described it as louder than the loudest trumpet on earth? I believe so. And isn't it also fitting that the voice that trumpeted the universe into being will also signal its ending with the same sound? 1 Thessalonians 4.16 says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And when that trumpet sounds, guess what happens? The dead in Christ will rise first. This is the trumpet call, the voice of God that bookends the universe. It called it into being, and it will signal the end of all of time. So when we hear the sound of the trumpet, the shofar blows, when you hear that sound louder than you ever thought possible, look up. Look up. Because Jesus is on his way. That is the voice of our Savior. Secondly, he is described as being clothed like a royal judge, and his hair is as white as wool. Verses 13 and 14, among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. His head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. Now, we have a few white hairs here this morning. I'm not going to single anyone out. I'll, I'll go in general. We have a few white hairs here this morning. So it's not hard to visualize his hair being white. But the main difference being that Jesus' hair is not white due to age, it's white due to his full glory and holiness being revealed. Remember, John is only describing what he is capable of seeing. Do you know what the hottest color of flame is that can still be seen with the human eye? What's the hottest color of flame that can be seen? White. That's right. That's why we'll say that something is white hot. Do you know what the hottest color of flame is that is not visible to the human eye? Violet. Violet or purple. Some of you who like purple, you'll be pleased to know that. Violet or purple is the color of royalty. Now, I'm not saying here that Jesus actually has purple hair. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is that when we receive our resurrected bodies, I believe that we will be able to see Jesus in all his glory even better 
than how John saw him that day. Because remember, John was still a regular man who could only see so much, who could only describe so much. But with our new bodies, our resurrected bodies, we will be capable of seeing even more aspects of Christ that will never, ever cease to amaze us. New aspects of his beauty, his glory, his majesty, I believe, will continuously bring out new worship for all time and eternity. Now on to his apparel. If you need to picture what Jesus is currently wearing, here it is. He wears a full-length robe, most likely white, and a golden sash around his waist. Okay, if you need to picture the sash right now, get blue, get red out of your mind. It's not a blue or a red sash. He is currently wearing a golden sash. And we can put this together with Jesus' transfiguration in Mark 16, verses 2 and 3, which describes it this way. There, Jesus was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. No, this isn't a laundry commercial. This is the Bible. Again, using earthly language to try to convey the brilliance of Jesus' apparel. It was so white, it hurt our eyes. It was whiter than anyone could possibly bleach them. The white robe signifies his absolute purity and holiness. The robe being full length signifies that he is judge of all things, like a judge's robe reaches the ground. Jesus is judge of all things. And the gold sash signifies that he is king of all things. Notice that John also describes him as, or being like, the Son of Man. Now, by itself, that reference doesn't mean very much to us, but we have to put it in context of the entirety of Scripture. The first thing you'll remember is that Jesus usually referred to himself by this title. His most often repeated term for himself was the Son of Man. He would say things like, unless the Son of Man be lifted up, so on and so forth. Jesus always referred to himself by this title. Why? He referred to himself by this title because it originated from the Old Testament prophets. And the Old Testament prophets were also given visions of heaven's throne room and of God himself. And one of those prophets was Daniel. And we read of one of the revelations he was given in Daniel chapter 7 and verse 9. There we read, As I looked... Thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. Are you noticing how closely Daniel's description of God matches John's description of Jesus? That old saying, like father, like son, it applies perfectly. And didn't Jesus also say that he who has seen me has seen the Father? They are in perfect unity. They are one and yet distinct. But Daniel's vision doesn't end there. It continues on to reveal God the Son in verse 13. In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is everlasting that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Isn't it incredible that though Daniel didn't even yet know Jesus, 
He described him perfectly. And though written thousands of years apart, Daniel's vision and John's vision are in complete agreement. It's incredible. God's word, God's word is in perfect unity and harmony with itself. The vision of Christ as he is, is one that stands the test of time and the ages. So this is what Jesus is wearing. Now we move on to the other descriptions of him, the more difficult ones. His feet are described as like molten bronze, and out of his mouth comes a sword. Now we'll start with the feet, the easy one. The bronze feet signifies his power and his judgment over all powers, kingdoms, and nations. Every last one will be brought under his feet like a footstool. And that includes Canada, by the way. All nations will be placed under his feet. The sword, this one, is a little bit more difficult. It's not difficult to figure out exactly what it signifies because the sword signifies that Jesus' words are the very words of God. They cut through everything, sharper than a double-edged sword. Now, I get what that means, but the sword coming out of Jesus' mouth is something that I really wrestle with visualizing. You know, if it was in his hand, it'd be really easy to visualize, but coming out of his mouth, this is sort of a bizarre image. The only reference point I have for that is once I went to the circus... And I saw someone swallow a sword at the circus. Has anyone seen a a sword swallower? Some of you can sort of visualize that. But this is in reverse. Here the sword is coming forth from his mouth. And though this is difficult to visualize, I simply chalk this up to John lacking the earthly ability to describe it any other way. For in Jesus' direct presence... Each word must have shot forth and penetrated John's mind, his heart, and his soul like the thrust of a sword. But consider that even today, even though we are buffered from God's spoken, audible word by the pages of Scripture, they still have the power to cut through and impact us in deep and profound ways. So if the written word has that power, how much more will we feel the impact of that power in his direct presence, hearing Jesus' audible voice? I believe it's simply beyond our comprehension. And for John, each word was like a sword piercing to the very heart of his being. Next, his eyes shine like fire and his face shines like the sun. Verse 14, his eyes are like blazing fire. Verse 16, his face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. Now, I can't help it, but when I think of his eyes shining like fire, I think of Superman's heat vision. I'm sorry, that's just what I grew up with. Superman, he's got heat vision, eyes of fire. Superman also has the ability to see through things. He has x-ray vision. And this is part of what Jesus' eyes signify. His eyes see all things. They don't miss anything. Nothing is hidden from him. He sees all things in the spiritual realm. I want you to think about that for a second. Imagine if our eyes were completely opened right now that we could see the way Jesus sees. Nothing was hidden from us. And we could see into the spiritual realm. Think about that. What would we see? If we could see... The angelic beings in the spiritual realm. You see, Jesus can see those those ministering angels, those 
fallen spirits, the demons who are in the spiritual realm right now. He saw when they came by church this morning. He saw when they tried to attack you in the parking lot. He sees everything that's going on. Even here right now, there is a spiritual battle. There is a component of this life that we can't see. But Jesus sees all things. He knows all things. And there are times when he gives us glimpses into this realm that we are most of the time completely unaware of. And yet nothing misses his attention. He sees it all. He sees the spiritual realm. He sees the, he sees the thoughts bouncing around in your head right now. He even sees the hidden motives in your heart. He sees the things that you've hidden from absolutely everyone and won't even hardly admit to yourself. He sees it all. But though that thought is frightening, for me it's also incredibly reassuring. Because if Jesus sees me exactly as I am, and he sees the hidden places in me, and he loves me anyways, how incredible is that? That he sees us at our best, and he sees us at our absolute worst, and he loves us anyways. How amazing is that? That the Lord who sees everything loves us. Then his face is described as being like the sun at midday. The sun in all of its brilliance. Have you ever looked at the sun for a long period of time? Anyone ever done that? Maybe at sunset you looked at it for a little while. That's when it wasn't at its most brilliant. But have you ever looked at the sun for a long period of time at midday? At its most brilliant, when it's directly overhead? Have you ever stared at it? I don't advise doing this, but chances are most of you have taken a good long glance at the sun longer than you should have when it was quite bright. What happened? You were dazzled. You saw big bright spots for quite a while. You have to blink your eyes for a long time until they finally go away. The worst I've ever experienced is playing baseball. Midday, it is the absolute worst. Middle of summer, midday, the sun is directly overhead and of course someone hits a pop-up. And you know it's coming your way and you're desperately looking for it. You're trying to keep your eye on the ball, but it lines up directly with the sun. And you're trying to pick the ball. You're trying to shield your eyes with the the ball glove. And it's coming down and there's this part of you that wants to turtle. But you know if you turtle, you turn away, you turn your face, you might take it in the face. So you try to block it out. You catch the ball if possible. But what happens is your eyes get dazzled. You see those spots for a long time. We need welding goggles on to look at the sun for a long period of time without fear of going blind. This is just an example of what Jesus' face is like. Just one glimpse, one look dazzles us. Remember Saul the persecutor on the road to Damascus? What stopped him? What stopped Saul? It was a bright light, wasn't it? And what did that bright light do? It blinded him. And who was that bright light? It was none other than Jesus Christ. It was not the sun that blinded Saul. It was the Son of God. In all of his brilliance, he concentrated his face on Saul in such an intense way that Saul lost his vision. And he was like a blind man groping in the dark instantly. One glimpse of Jesus' face, and he's blinded. His face is so brilliant that if he were to reveal it to us, one glimpse of it, and we would be just as blind. Now, if your head is beginning to spin just a little bit, (laughs) 
I know mine was all week trying to comprehend this passage, trying to put this all together. If your head is beginning to spin and you just can't take in any more of these descriptions, how do you think John was feeling? We're just hearing words. You're just hearing a guy up here trying to talk about what someone else tried to describe about Jesus and our heads are spinning. How do you think John felt in the direct divine glory of Jesus Christ? Incredible what he was experiencing in that moment. And as I stated at the outset, verse 17, John describes exactly how he reacted. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. And you know what? Dead on the floor is exactly where each one of us deserves to be. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. My friends, it is all about God's glory. Remember, the Father seeks to glorify the Son. The Son seeks to glorify the Father. And through this relationship and through us, more glory is revealed. And that glory will only increase through eternity as we magnify and glorify His name. And yet every last one of us has fallen short of that glory. And to come into God's presence by our own works, to attempt to come into God's presence by our own merit, is utterly impossible. We will take one room into the the doorway of heaven's glory, and we will fall flat on our faces as dead men. If John, Jesus' best friend while on earth, was like a dead man on the floor when exposed to God's glory, what chance do you suppose that you or I have? Here's the best part. When we enter his presence, not because of what we've done, but because of what he has done for us, then look at what he does when we hit the floor. Verse 17. Then he placed his right hand upon me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. You see, though John is dazzled and awestruck on the ground, Jesus so tenderly lays his hand upon him, He calms his fears and reassures him that he indeed has defeated death. He is the victor, and he holds the keys. My friends, this is the Lord and Savior that we serve as he is right now and will be forevermore. And I'm beginning to understand that God does not want us to think of Jesus Christ only as he was while on earth. But he wants us to fix our thoughts on him as he is right now, this moment in heaven. For that is exactly how he will be when we meet him. Think about that, my friends. We will never ever meet Jesus as he was on earth. That time has passed. The select few who got that opportunity to meet Jesus as a baby, meet him as a man, know him in that context, that time has passed. We will never know him that way. We will only know him as he is, glorified. Are you beginning to wrap your mind around that concept? Think of him not as he was, but as he is, for that is how we will meet him.
incredible. Now let me change gears for just a moment. As we are currently preparing to celebrate Jesus' birth once more, I just have to ask the question, how did God manage to package up and conceal all of that glory, all of that dazzling light, into a baby? How did he do it? I suspect that we will never fully know nor comprehend how he did it. But for us, it's enough to know and believe that he did. He did. It is done. A true story plucked straight from recent headlines tells of a short time on Monday afternoon of November 23rd, 2015, just this past month, that the Christmas nativity display at a New York City church might have been able to pass for the real thing. It was around 11.30 Monday morning when a custodian of the Holy Child of Jesus Church left the empty chapel to go get lunch. When he returned shortly after 1 p.m., he heard a baby crying, but saw no one else around. That's when the custodian turned to the nativity scene located in the front of the church and discovered to his shock and surprise a newborn baby, umbilical cords still attached, wrapped in towels, lying in the manger. Reverend Christopher Ryan Henu was asked by the New York Times what he thought of the mother who had abandoned her child with them. His reply was, I think it's beautiful. A church is a home for those in need. And she felt, in this stable, a place where Jesus will find his home, a home for her child. And it's since been reported that a young couple in that congregation is in the process of adopting that baby boy. And in a sense, that child, abandoned in the manger, represents each one of us. Utterly helpless to save ourselves. Our only hope is to be born again into Jesus and adopted into God's family. And my prayer is that as we once more look back to catch a glimpse of the baby in the manger as we look back to see Jesus as he was, my prayer is that we will be even more excited, have anticipation grow within us to look ahead when we will see Jesus as he is. And however it happens, whenever it happens, when that trumpet sounds and the veil is torn away, no one will be looking at the angels No one will be looking at the streets of gold. No one will be staring at the pearly gates. All eyes will be fixed on Jesus. Only him will capture the attention of the world. And get this, whether you have been on your knees worshiping him a day in your life or not, the Bible declares that on that day, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That day is coming, my friends. It will happen. God's word, it will take place. That day is coming when we will see him. And if this Christmas I had just one wish, just one wish, it would be that every last person 
in the sleepy little town of Clarny, Manitoba, would see Jesus for themselves and know just how deeply they are loved. To understand what tremendous lengths God has gone to rescue them from sin and death, to know it for themselves, and to simply receive that gift of salvation and enter the Father's embrace. That is my wish. That is my prayer for this town. That is my wish. That is my prayer for each one of you here today, for your families. If we have met Jesus, if we have entered that cradle, we have been born again, adopted into God's family, you have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only, sent of the Father. And like the shepherds that day who saw that first glimpse of Jesus as a baby, they didn't leave that day unaffected. They didn't leave that day with shoulders shrugged. No, they left that day changed, transformed, enthusiastic. They couldn't help but tell everyone the Savior that they had encountered that day. May we be like them. May we go forth this Christmas like the shepherds with glad tidings to tell. Jesus is born and you can be born again into him. Let's pray. Father God, it is so wonderful to be able to reflect on your glory. To just sit here for a moment in time and just hear words of how you, how you have been revealed and how you have yet to be revealed to us. Lord, it gives me goosebumps to think of what that will be like when we see your face. When we are bowled over by your glory. When we are on our knees before you like dead men, like John. We won't even know what to say or do or think. But, O oh Lord, we anticipate your right hand being laid upon us in your words of comfort. Be not afraid. Be not afraid. You are my child. I have defeated the grave in death. You are worthy and welcome in my presence, not because of what you've done, but because of what I have done. You are my child. Welcome into my kingdom. Oh Lord, may we be found in you that day. And Lord Jesus, we pray that by your will, by your grace, your power, may there be many more in this town who will yet be found in you on that day because of the testimony of this church. Oh Lord, may we reflect your glory. Increase our ability to do so. Take away whatever is blinding us, Lord, from doing so. Whatever is blunting that witness. Oh, Father, take it away so that we can reflect you to the people in this community, the people in our lives who you have set before us. Oh, Lord, give us the strength to reflect you well, to show your love. And now, Lord, as we prepare to once again, as a congregation come together around your table and share in your supper, we pray, Lord, that you would be very real in this midst. Would you be here by the power of your Holy Spirit? May we receive your gift, your blood, your sacrifice with humility, with repentant hearts, Lord, that we could commune with you, we pray in Jesus' name.